Today on the Locked On Jets podcast, we have our weekly mailbag. We'll be talking Zach Wilson, we'll be talking games to watch, and we'll be talking so much more. Thank you so much for joining us as we move into this Wednesday Locked On Jets episode. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, May 18th, 2022, and I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com, and I thank you for making this show your first listen or your first watch every day, as we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. A big shout-out to subscribers to this podcast, and to join this group, all you have to do is hit the subscribe button wherever you are watching or listening, and you'll never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, please give this episode a big thumbs up. Helps the channel out, and it helps other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. Today we have our weekly mailbag. Each Wednesday we try to do a mailbag show. Sometimes we have to move it around. Sometimes it's Tuesday. Sometimes it's Thursday. Sometimes it's Friday. But most weeks we do it on Wednesday. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. And let's begin. Our first question. Which game on the schedule are you most looking forward to this year? Well, that's a great question. And it's always difficult to say. Because my thing is like when the schedule comes out. Well, first of all, you know, I went on multiple rants last week about the ridiculous special NFL Network put on for three hours. But... When the schedule comes out, you never really know who's going to be good and who's going to be bad, to, to a certain extent. I mean, we can probably guess Kansas City's going to be good this year. You could probably guess Houston's going to be bad. But each year in the NFL, there are lots of teams you expect to be bad who end up improving quite a bit, and there are lots of teams who kind of fall back to earth who had a good season the year before. So I guess my generic answer is always going to be opening day. I'm looking forward to seeing the Ravens and the Jets because it, it'll be a good barometer, especially when a team has so much turnover as the Jets have had. I mean, the team that will take the field week one against Baltimore is very different from the team that left the field week 18 last year in Buffalo. And I think it's especially going to be interesting because I want to see how Zach Wilson looks. I think we all know Zach Wilson needs to take a big step forward this season. And I feel like in some level, we may know a lot about Zach. We won't know everything, but we'll learn a lot about Zach Wilson right out of the gate because I feel like it's one of those things where it's just like, it's going to be one of two uh, outcomes. It'll either be, you'll see a guy who was like pretty much the same as he was a year ago. He'll look very indecisive. You'll try and talk yourself into him. You'll find some statistic that looks like he's trending up, but fundamentally he'll be the same quarterback and any improvement will be very mild. Or he's going to look like a completely different guy. And, you know, some of this will be shown on the eye test, where he'll just look like he's in complete command of the offense. He'll be able to, when he drops back, he'll step his back, he'll plant his back foot authoritatively, know where his reads are, he'll be able to progress from one to two, sometimes to three. He'll just look like a different quarterback. And we're not going to know that until week one, because, you know, as we go through the offseason, you're going to hear all the talk, you know, during the offseason program, oh, he's really picking up the playbook. You'll get to training camp because we've been through. I've been through like ten of these with Jets quarterbacks after the you know after year one, whether it's year two, year three, year four with the young quarterback. It's always every year in training camp. It's well, he's a different guy this year, and he'll be telling you how he's in complete command of the offense. We've been through this so many times before, so it's like what happens in the what it, what's said in training camp in preseason doesn't really matter, and you know he's going to play pretty effectively during the preseason because you face 
vanilla defenses. I mean, he was good in the preseason last year and kind of struggled during the regular season. So week one's really our first opportunity to see what Zach has, the extent to which he's improved. And obviously week one doesn't mean everything. I mean, we've seen great performances of Mark Sanchez in 2012. Uh, you had a big game against Buffalo and ended up really kind of falling apart that season. I mean, even Sam Darnold's rookie year, he played very well week one against Detroit. You know, it's funny, everybody remembers the interception he threw on his first pass, which was an awful decision, but people forget Darnold bounced back and had a very strong game and a blowout win for the Jets that night. So week one doesn't mean everything, but I think we'll begin to get a sense of the extent to which Zach has improved. And, you know, I'm just hoping the a lot of it's going to come down to the eyeball test because if he doesn't look like a completely different quarterback week one, then... You know, I think it would be some cause for concern, and if he is, does look like a completely different quarterback, a guy who's much more in command of things, then you know the Jets could be on their way to a pretty decent season. Now, if you're talking about road trips, I think Lambeau Field, you know, going to Green Bay would be the one I would want to go on because you know it's a, such a historic venue. At the Packers and the, you know the Packers fans, it'd be around them, and you know. Part of this, part of what plays into this is that it's an NFC game, so you only get to travel to the NFC stadiums, you know, once every eight years, because that's the way the cycle goes. Unless now the seventeenth game kind of kind of uh, changes that a little bit because the Jets are going back to Seattle for the second time in three years, and that's because Seattle is the seventeenth game this year. But in the normal cycle, you only play at an NFC road venue once every eight years because. You play each division once every four years, but one of those games is home, so the next one's on the road. So, you know, you, you won't get the chance to see the Jets play in Lambeau Field unless the Packers are the 17th game for, you know, another eight years. So, and it's such a, you know, such a great venue. I, I've always wanted to go there. So I think that would be my choice if, for as far as game I'm most excited, I'd be most excited to travel on the road for, although, you know, New Year's in Miami also would be pretty good. Get out of the, get out of the heat. Uh, you know, I think that's, Another thing, if you're a Jets fan who likes to travel, you probably were very happy to see that. I was happy to see Miami not be in September, where the heat and humidity were going to be a factor. If you're a Jets fan who likes to travel, you know you could probably do worse than uh, January in Miami. Our next question. I hope this is not the case, but if Zach Wilson does not make a significant leap in 2022, with the Jets seemingly in win-now mode in 2023, and with young ascending talent everywhere on the roster, do you think they will make a move for the Russell Wilson or Matthew Stafford veteran type who is a proven player and can propel the Jets forward. So essentially the, the question is, if Zach Wilson plays poorly this year, do the Jets make a trade for a veteran quarterback next offseason? I think the I think there's a should they answer, and I think there's a will they answer. Now, of course, we don't want this to happen, and the question explicitly says we don't want it to happen. Should they? I think so. Will they? Almost certainly not. I think no matter what happens this year, I would put the I would say it's like a ninety nine point nine percent chance Zach Wilson is starting for the Jets in twenty twenty three. That's just the way it's done in the NFL, and that's just the way it's done. It's not a very good a good reason for it, but that's how it works. I don't think I don't think that's a I I don't think it should be done that way. It's not a good answer for for should teams do this do it this way. But when you draft a quarterback second overall. Teams are very hesitant to give up on them early. That's just, and I think a lot of that is kind of the sunk cost fallacy. I mean, you've invested that early pick on the quarterback, no matter no matter how he turns out. But if we don't see a you know a tangible step forward for Zach Wilson this year, I think they should move on. But will they? No. What happens in the NFL? Well, what always happens in the NFL is that the quarterback's always the last one to go. 
it's always a coach who, who gets thrown overboard. The coach always gets blamed. I mean, even early last season, uh, the degree to which Michael LaFleur was taking criticism for Zach Wilson's poor performance was kind of striking to me. And I think LaFleur had his own issues early in the season, but you know, Zach Wilson was not ready to play last year. That that was not really... It was Maybe it was Michael LaFleur's fault if Michael LaFleur was part of the team that decided Zach Wilson was ready, but the biggest issue was that just, I think, in the early part of last season, Zach Wilson was not really ready to play in the NFL, but Mike LaFleur is going to be the guy who walks the plank this year. There's no, I, I don't think there's any question about that. If Zach Wilson struggles, the Jets will, everybody will blame LaFleur. The fan base will say LaFleur has, LaFleur has blown it. That, you know, he's this, nobody could, nobody could succeed with this kind of coaching. It's what happens with every quarterback. You'll bring in, you know, you'll bring in a new offensive coordinator. It's, it's especially easier to do this when you have a head coach from the defensive side of the ball, because then you're not destroying the, then you're not completely pulling the plug on the era. You know, a couple of years ago, after Adam Gase's first season with the Jets, it was obvious the system was not working with Sam Darnold. And if the Jets had a defensive, you know, a head coach with a defensive background, there's no question they would have changed offensive coordinators. But I think what saved Gase there was the fact he was the head coach. And essentially, if you fire the head coach in an attempt to change the offensive system, you're really hitting the reset button. And this was funny because back when the Jets hired Gase, like the the whole theory behind this hire was that they needed a head coach from the offensive side of the ball because if the if they were successful and they had a you know and they had a defensive head coach the offensive coordinator would end up getting a head coaching job with some other team and he'd lose the offensive coordinator. Of course, nobody ever thought of the flip side of this. If it doesn't work, then it becomes harder to make a change because you know if your head coach is from the offensive side of the ball and you need to make a change, then you're essentially hitting the reset. Nobody ever thought of that. But I think what will happen if and we don't want it to happen. And hopefully this question is not one that's relevant to the Jets this season because we want Zach Wilson to be successful. But if Zach Wilson's not successful, he's going to get every chance to succeed because the Jets have so much invested in him. Should they? I mean, well, it depends on the type of season he has. I do think there's a threshold where maybe you would be better well advised to look elsewhere, but I hope we don't get there. I don't think there's any... I, I shouldn't say there's, there's always a chance of something happening. I think the odds of Zach Wilson not being the Jets quarterback in 2023, no matter what happens are extremely low. And it would essentially be the Darnold 2020 season redone in the standpoint that it's so bad. But not only is it so bad, that it's so bad that it gets you one of the top two picks in the draft so you can draft his replacement. And this is the thing, like, Darnold's probably with the Jets last year if they don't end up with the number two overall pick. And, the, you know, they had the opportunity to take Zach Wilson, and that's the reason they moved on from Darnold. So you have to be, first of all, the quarterback has to be so bad but the team also has to be so bad that you, you're in position to draft his replacement. Now, ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast, we'll talk about some things that I've changed my mind on through the years in the NFL. I think you know, as you watch the league, you'll learn more. I'll tell you some of the things I've learned about as I've watched the Jets and I've watched the league over the last five to ten years. That's ahead here on this Wednesday mailbag, Locked On Jets. Of course, the NFL draft was a few weeks back. Hopefully, the Jets made picks that made you so happy you felt like it was your birthday. You know another thing that can make you feel like your birthday is if you try Birthday Cake Puffs Built Bar. Imagine dipping your finger into a plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and opening your eyes and realizing it was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. That's what it's like to eat one of these Birthday Cake Puffs from Built. If you haven't tried the puffs, I'll let you in on a little secret. It's a chocolate-covered marshmallow protein bar. Delicious flavored marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. All Built Puffs are covered in 100% chocolate. That means with Built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy it because they're only 150 calories with 16 grams of protein and only 9 grams of sugar. 
Go to Built.com right now to order birthday cake puffs. And while you're checking out, with either birthday cake, cake puffs or any other flavor, use promo code LOCKED15. If you do that, you'll get 15% off your order. Again, it's promo code LOCKED15. It's one word with no space. L-O-C-K-E-D, number one, number five, for 15% off at Built, B-U-I-L-T, dot com. Thank you again for making Locked On Jets your first listen or your first watch every day. We are free and available on all platforms, and we continue with our weekly mailbag. Our next question. What opinions of yours have changed the most about the NFL in the last five to ten years? Is it something about how important defense is, how much a franchise needs to build around a quarterback for him to have success? Are there any positions you've changed your views on? Yeah, so there are are a couple. And, like, the way I view NFL is, like, there are, like, universal truths. There are are things that, like, are true no no matter what period you're operating in. So, like, for example... People say people act like, well, the quarterback's really important in this era. Well, the quarterback's been important for decades and decades and decades. I mean, if you go back far enough, you go back to like the 1920s, then snapping the ball to the same quarterback on every play was kind of like a gimmick in football. And that changed with uh, the advent of the T formation with George Hallis, I believe. I I hope I'm not mixing up my history there. Uh, But... After there came a point where after after snapping the ball to the quarter the same quarterback on every play ceased to be a gimmick and it became like a regular part of football. The quarterback's always been important. I mean, you can go back to the pre Super Bowl era where you have Johnny Unitas. You've needed a quarterback to win in the NFL. There's also a universal truth that as time has progressed, the passing game has become more and more relevant. That's something that goes back to like 1900. Over the last you know 120 years in football the passing game has continued to rise in relevancy. That's Again, this is nothing new. You know, we, we act like it's the last 10 to 15 years the passing game's been become more important. It's continued to be more important for more than a century. And then there are the changes that are more, like, cyclical. Like, you know, you'll say, like, oh, well, you need a great defense to win in this league, or, you know, running back's not as important, or, you know, defense doesn't matter anymore. And these are the things that, like, are, are more recent that, like, are going to change over time because the NFL is, you know, there, there are cycles in the NFL. And like one of the things I really hate is like when somebody uses like one game to like try and prove a universal truth about the league. So like that Super Bowl nine years ago where Seattle beat Denver, it was the number one offense Denver versus the number one defense Seattle and Seattle crushed them. People were saying, see, you need a great defense. defense. So this league's still about defense. And then you have the reverse last year where people take one game. It was the uh, Buffalo Kansas City playoff game where it was the shootout. And Buffalo's number one defense couldn't get a stop late in the game. People say, see, even the number one defense can't get a stop against the Kansas City offense. Shows you defense is meaningless. Well, that's not true. Of course, defense matters. Even in a league that's trending more towards offense, having a great defense matters a lot. Because if more points are being scored across the board, it means, you know, like, everybody's offense is scoring more. So whether you're giving up, whether the the average team is giving up 20 points a game or 30 points a game, if you have a defense that can get, get that can allow 25 points fewer than the average, you still have a big advantage. So I think sometimes people chase these cyclical trends a little bit too much to try and say, oh, offense is all that matters now. Defense is all that matters now. That's not really the case. And in some ways, it's better to try. It's better to not follow the trends because you can find some market inefficiencies. You know, if you if everybody's focused on building up their offense, that means defensive players are going to be cheap. Great defensive players are going to be cheaper. And if you can get a defense that gets more stops than, than the typical defense, you're going to be in pretty good shape. So what are the things like I've come to appreciate over the last couple of years? Well, there are, there are some. One is that like I've come to realize that like the way the NFL conducts head coaching searches really makes no sense. Because typically, like 
the two the two types of NFL coaching candidates fall are, are either an assistant off a really good team, or essentially trying to ch- chase a trend, find the next this guy. So recently, it's been everybody's been trying to find the next Sean McVay, the you know the the next great young offensive mind. But the thing is, like, there's only one Sean McVay, and you can find a great young offensive mind. But if you're just trying to find the next Sean McVay, well, you already missed your opportunity, and. When we're talking about head coaches, yeah, it's nice that like a coordinator's had success on a winning team. That doesn't mean that he's necessarily equipped to be a head coach in this league. The skills that make a great coordinator are very different from the skills that make a great head coach. And, you know, you say, well, this guy's done a great job with this te- with this team's defense. Therefore, he's going to be a great head coach. Well, it doesn't really work that way. And I've thought this through, and it's amazing to me, like how many of the great head coaches in the league were viewed as kind of unorthodox hires at the time. Yeah, uh, McVeigh was very young. McVeigh was in his early 30s. There were plenty of questions about that. Bill Belichick was a failure in Cleveland. He was viewed as kind of an outsider. John Harbaugh was like a, just a special teams coach, although he was like he did coach a, the secondary for a year in Philadelphia. But it, when the Ravens hired him, it was John Harbaugh's just a special teams coach. Go back to '99 when Andy Reid was first hired by the Eagles. There was questions because he had never been a coordinator. He had never called plays before. So when you think through like all of these hires, how many of these great coaches were viewed as like kind of unusual hires and none of and they didn't really fit the mold of like either being the, the great co- coordinator on a great team or the next whatever the next whatever their era's version of the next Sean McVay was it shows you that like the way teams hire coaches doesn't really make a whole lot of sense and you know what are the what are the attributes you want in a head coach it's not really a scheme you want you want your coordinator to have a great scheme and if your head coach can help with that that's great I'm not saying like your head coach your head coach can be very hands-on on his side of the ball, but like you can hire a coordinator to install a, a scheme. You want guys who are good leaders, guys with good organizational skills, guys who can delegate, guys who can build a good staff. But the thing is, those are very intangible, and those are not evident to you or me, or even to owners. So I think like the media kind of like goes for the things that are tangible, even though they don't really make that big of a difference. And you know they go for like, oh, this guy's this guy had a lot of success running this defense or running this offense with a good team. Or say, well, this guy's kind of like Sean McVay, so maybe he'll be a good coach. And it doesn't really make a difference. So that's one. Another is I've come to really feel like teams underinvest at the quarterback position. I really, that's one thing that, it, especially when it comes to backup quarterbacks. And there were two things that really changed my mind on the backup quarterback. Because if you, if you like spend a lot for, to bring in a backup quarterback, you get criticized. You're like, oh, you're undermining your starter or you're paying this, this amount of money to a guy who's never going to play. Well, there were two, as I said, there were two things that changed my mind. One was the Eagles winning the Super Bowl with Nick Foles, where the backup quarterback was literally the difference between them winning the Super Bowl and not winning the Super Bowl. And then a couple of years later, when Sam Darnold got mono and uh, Trevor Simeon got hurt, and the Jets are running Luke Falk out there in games, looking horrible. And it made me think, you know, what? how does it make sense that you, that you underinvested the quarterback position and the logical outcome is that you get Luke Falk starting games? And this makes sense. And it, it, it took me back. I did some research. And the Hall of Fame general manager, Ron Wolf, who was famous for constantly bringing in new quarterbacks, every year he'd try and draft a quarterback. I remember reading this experience he had that led him to that solution, which was this game where like his starting, starting quarterback and his backup quarterback got hurt, and his team lost this game because of it. And he's like, well, we can never let this happen again. we got to make sure we're, we have depth at the quarterback position. So he started drafting a quarterback every year. It's just logical. You know, it's... It's one of the, yeah, of course you you hope you never have to use your backup quarterback, but 
I think like your backup quarterback could be like one of the 10 most important players on your team because when you need him, it's literally the difference between saving your season and not saving your season. So that's another. And a third thing would be, and this is also at the quarterback position, I think teams are way too, and I, I kind of alluded to this in the first segment, teams are way too hesitant to cut, to, to just cut the cord with uh, quarterbacks who aren't producing, young quarterbacks who aren't producing early on. Because I've been thinking this through. I can think of so many examples of teams that held on to a quarterback for a year or two too long. I can't really think of many examples of a team that cut a quarterback and had to come back to hurt them. Maybe like Ryan Tannehill with Miami, you know, maybe Miami let go of Ryan Tannehill a little, little early, although that was in part due to injuries because he couldn't stay healthy as much as lack of performance. But I think teams are maybe a little too hesitant to just admit they made a mistake with a young quarterback. When the young quarterback's not producing early on, they should probably be quicker to move on than they are. So those are some things that I've changed my mind on. Now, ahead here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we will close out our weekly mailbag. I'll give you my thoughts on where the Jets should be relative to the rest of the league, uh, the rest of the league in 2022. That's ahead here as we close out this Wednesday show. It may be the off season, but Bet Online continues to be the number one source for your betting needs and sports info. We are still a few months away from the official kickoff of the 2022 NFL season, but you can bet on NFL futures if you think the Jets have had a great offseason, think Joe Douglas has done a great job through free agency in the draft. Put some money down. The Jets have pretty good odds right now. So if you think a big season awaits, you can make some good money at bet online. But they also have the latest odds, news, and sports developments. They have this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and of course the Stanley Cup playoffs for you Rangers fans as you prepare for round two against the Carolina Panther, uh, Carolina Hurricanes, not the Carolina Panthers. Bet Online is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs to esports and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends into action. Bet Online, where the game starts. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Mailbag Wednesday. We continue. ESPN's Football Power Index has the Jets rated 31st in the league, only in front of the Bears. I don't see this team being so weak, and depending on Zach Wilson's progress, I could see us surprising a lot of people. Where do you rank the Jets on the John B. Football Power Index? Well, I'm going to give you a lame answer because I'm not going to go through, like, 32 teams. Um, So... I think the ESPN football power index has like some statistical component within it. And I think like part of what's dragging the Jets down probably is Zach Wilson's statistics his rookie year. That would be from what I know about it, that's what I would guess. I ignore like these these preseason prognostications though, because a lot of them are not statistical based. A lot of them are purely subjective. And essentially nobody really makes any bold predictions in those. They essentially like kind of reshuffle last year's standings. They may move this team up one one slot, this team up two. And then there's like, you know, the, the team with a lot of buzz that made all the splashy moves in free agency and trades. You know, maybe there's one or two teams that actually sees a lot of big movement. And they're the team that like generated a ton of buzz during the offseason. So these things are not really worth a whole lot. Where are the Jets? Well, I'd say they need to be, I don't know where they are, but I think where they need to be is they need to be, you know, maybe not in the top half of the league, but like close to the middle point. You know, here's the thing, like this is season three for Joe Douglas, it's season two for Robert Sala. It's season two of this rebuild the Jets are embarking upon. So there needs to be progress. I mean, I don't think they can win four again and have this. I mean, I think they got to get into the seven, maybe six, but like this got to be a seven win team this year. Because I think, you know, if this is not a seven win team, then are we really heading in the right direction? It's great to say be patient. And I agree with patience. If we're talking, as far as patient goes, if we're talking about like, they don't need to be a Super Bowl team this year, but there need to be standards. So I think they, this is a team that's got to get to seven wins because if Zach Wilson's growing, that should be a couple extra wins right there. If you 
imported good young talents, you know, if these rookies are as good as they're supposed to be, I'm always hesitant about asking too much out of rookies, but I think it's reasonable to ask for something out of this rookie class with four of the top 36 picks. You got to get something, you know, if they made good signings in the in free agency. At some point, like, there has to be standards. There, ha- there has to be progress. You know, if we're talking about making progress, well, progress has to show up in the one-loss standings. So I think that they should be, like, I don't know, maybe in, like, the 20, you know, 18, 19, 20 range, maybe a little bit below average, but I want this to be a competitive team. I want this to be a team that's in every game, I don't, and I want them to be the team nobody wants to play in, in December. If you're if you're heading for a playoff berth, you want to see the Jets rising. You want to see the Jets playing better. You want you want to be the Jets. You want you want to be a little nervous when you see the Jets on the schedule. See this rising young team. So that's where I'm hoping they are. Where they are, I mean, tough to say. And our last question: Do you think it's time to retire the classic sports talk radio trope? A coach should adjust his system to the players he has in regards to football. In theory, it's correct, but how realistic is it in practice in today's NFL? How often have any of us seen this principle used in the regular jobs we work? I feel great about the direction of the Jets for the, because for the first time since Parcells, the coach, GM, and offensive coordinator are on the same page, and they're getting the players that fit their scheme. I don't think it's time to retire it. I think it's overused, though. I think one of the things is whenever there's a young, uh, underperforming player, the player doesn't get blamed. The coaching staff gets blamed, and we've seen this. I've seen this so many times over the last decade with the Jets, where a player's underperforming, and people are saying the coach doesn't know how to use him. We saw that with you know Quinton Copels. Uh, we saw that with Calvin Pryor. I mean, I could go on. We, we, the list could go on forever about you know, I, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I did it with Chris Herndon. Oh, Chris Herndon, man. That that one, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever get over how wrong I was on Chris Herndon. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things where there's a balance. You have to have, like, I think you have to have kind of a defined scheme. Yeah, because if you don't have a defined scheme, you don't know what you're looking for in a player. If you don't know what your scheme is on defense, how do you know what sort of corner you want? If you don't know whether you're going to be a man team or a zone team, that impacts like the types of corners you go out and get. You know, are you a team that's going to want to play one gap or two gap on the defensive line? Again, that's going to in, that's going to impact the type of players you want to get. So you have to have some degree of uh, rigidness in your scheme. I do think you like you make exceptions if like a guy has a certain skill set. You know, you talk about it in the business you you work in. Well, in the business you work in, there may be somebody who's really good with numbers. But maybe you know not so great on the phone. So you'd have them in a, you. So if they were working in sales, you'd move them over to accounting. So I think at some level, like you f- you try and find the balance. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's overused. I don't think it's time to retire. I think I think sometimes the idea that you adjust your scheme to the talent you have is used as a blanket excuse for players not performing. But I do think there's there's something to it. I think that. One of the things Bill Belichick's been really good at through the years is finding out what a guy's good at and putting him in a position to take advantage of those skills and not putting him in a position where he has to use skills that he doesn't have. So there's always a balance there. It's not it's not really one or the other. I think you have to kind of find the happy medium. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it. Leave the show a five-star review if you're listening on a podcast source. Big thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.